Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Christine Thackeray. And I'm Annette Marie Lantos Tilleman Dick. I'm just going to say my kids don't like me saying all those names, so I'm Annette Tilleman Dick. <laughs> we're glad you're here. Um, today we're going to be ending our time together, and it has just been such a joyous opportunity to talk scripture with other women that whom I love so much. Uh, today we're going to be concluding our discussion about the book of Revelation. And because we're kind of ending, but we've had two weeks since the last time we talked about Revelation, I did want to review a couple of key points that we had talked about previously to keep in mind as we talk about the book of Revelation. The first one is don't get sidetracked by the symbolism. Instead, focus on the doctrine. It is so easy to get focused in on, oh, what does the red horse mean? And what's the difference between the white and the black? And all those kinds of things. You can go down the numerology you know, path. You can go down the color path. All kinds of symbols that are happening in here. But we are looking at the doctrine. That's what we're focusing on. The second one is that Revelation is a testimony of the Savior Jesus Christ and his mission. Last week, we talked a lot about the mission of the Savior. We talked about Christmas and about Christmas, his birth, but also the celebration of his death in terms of Easter and his resurrection. But this is also a celebration of the second coming as well. And so we're going to be talking a lot about the second coming today because that's the end of the book of Revelation. And the third point that I want us to remember as we continue our discussion of Revelation is that the book of Revelation is a scripture of hope. I know that we're going to talk a lot about the apocalypse and what's going to happen here at the end. And if we are faithful, we need not fear. That is definitely a theme of the book of Revelation. So it's also easy to go down that, oh no, all these terrible things are going to happen because, you know, John does a really good job of describing all those really bad things. And so instead of focusing on that, I'm hoping that we'll focus on the Savior, on the doctrine, but also on hope. Now, I know that, Annette, you were going to talk a little bit about what apocalypse means. And, you know, because this truly is apocalyptic literature. And, well, it's very interesting because, of course, we know what we think the apocalypse means. But apocalypse comes from the Greek word, apocalypsis. And what it literally means is the unveiling. And that is what Revelations is supposed to be, an unveiling, not a literal unveiling. I think one thing that I feel like is my takeaway from having immersed myself not only in, in both in these last two years, the Old Testament and the New Testament of the scriptures, is it's much more than we can take in. And John was given this tremendous vision, and it was more than he could express in words that we would understand. There had to be symbols. Okay, but I take exception to the word more because I think it was intentionally written this way yes. so that we wouldn't become overly focused on details. That instead yes. we look back through the scriptures and it's kind of like 
the final exam. Because we've understood these symbols that are consistent throughout, the symbols aren't new symbols. They're the symbols in Daniel. They're the symbols in Isaiah. They're the That's symbols so in Jeremiah. I love that. So all those things you've studied prepare you to go and have so much fun with John and Revelations. And I just think, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because I read it and it's like, pew, mind blown. I love Revelations. Well, it so for is me, it's such a gift. And that unveiling is that all that prep you do, the more the work other you've scripture. done, That's and right. then the more connection you have the Spirit, when you're really in the Spirit and you read Revelations, and then you look through the Joseph Smith translation and all of the footnotes, it's like, wow, wow, wow. And it lets you make, like enjoy That's all amazing. the scriptures in one piece. Well, So a lot like the temple to me, those same it's so meaty and it's so joyous. And the symbols allow that in a way that plain language wouldn't. And so it, because it gives a, you like a five-dimensional so beauty. You know, I mean, right. and it is a spec and it is, and this what it we is, can expect is spectacular. And right. so so the um book of Revelations, which is a is an unveiling. Very interesting for us to also know that there are many meanings of this veil, you know, in the, that was in the temple right. that, you know. Um and this and it is a pulling back, the unveiling, the pulling back of a veil to show the faithful the truth about God and the world they live in. Right. And and par accordingly, it is filled with so both beautiful. darkness and light. And it is an oracle of doom as well as a vision of a glory, of glorious hope and salvation. Right. And that's the end. It's the happy ending. That's right. And it is the happy ending, and especially the part we're going to be talking right, about. Right, but there's today. always the black moment right before the happy ending. Mm -hmm. and that's the part of the story. There's the black moment, and there's <laughs> Babylon. And nowhere else in Scripture, maybe, is he it quite as powerfully denoted that this world we're living in is basically Babylon. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And I loved, I was thinking of the hymn, and I appreciated that both Mariana <laughs> and Christine know the hymn, Babylon, no oh Babylon, we bid thee farewell. We're going to the mountain of Zion. Ephraim, Ephraim to dwell. Ephraim to dwell. Which is the temple. Yeah, I know. But I loved it. But I, and it goes on. It's a great right. rousing hymn and very appropriate Ephraim because because um, because John makes it clear we are living in Babylon. And that he, I, th this I think is really interesting, that um, Revelations shows us what the world is like. And basically, John says, it is not a pretty place. I mean, we know there's a lot of beauty, but they're, okay, but from the large picture. Can we say a word about Babylon? Yes. Babylon is a beautiful place. It's the Fertile Crescent. It's the place that's easy. And if you go to Jerusalem, in Israel, yeah. it is deserty. Yes. It is harder to grow things. So it's funny that you say that because Babylon is easy. It looks good. Babylon is beauty. <laughs> Babylon is money. And many of the Jews stayed, the ancient Israelites stayed in Babylon. And then they made that long trek to go for the feasts and festivals for Passover and for the right. Feast of Tabernacles to keep their faith. But they stayed in Babylon because it was so much easier to make money there. And so Babylon is a sign of ease. Babylon is a sign. It's not a sign of, of overt wickedness. It's a sign of the world, of, of things that are beautiful and pretty and fun and easy. The and path that, that sometimes I too much want to walk but we need to like walk the Bill, path. Though you know, of I mean, covenant. he does. Um, 
you know, I mean, some of the symbols, you know, the woman sitting on top of the seven hills, which of course, mm-hmm. in the, I mean, the seven mountains. And of course, in that day, probably they were pointing towards Rome, which was built on seven right, hills, right, right. you know, and and with her jewels and her finery and her, and, mm-hmm. and yet she turns out to be, and she rules over the mountain and over right, the sea. Right. But, you know, she is really kind of a drunken whore. Right. Is what, right. Is what right. she's right. described as. So, not, but yeah. but yeah. not from far away. Like, that, as you get closer, you realize that's right. better. That's it takes right. you a moment. Far it almost away. sounds like the tall and spacious building. But a lot of us yes. look a lot far better away. far away. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> and I I enjoyed this book, as I've been saying, but there is something you said about Revelations that I wanted to share because I think it's interesting. He says, some theologians complain that Revelation's perspective on human society is too pessimistic, and they suggest that this extreme perception be balanced by more positive or neutral takes on the political world, which are elsewhere in Scripture. You find them in Romans, you find them in Peter, you find them in, um, you know, and we find them in our Scriptures as well, where we're supposed to honor the rulers who are and to maintain order in society. I loved what Mariana was saying that the Christian friends you made in um, China when you visited mm-hmm. were making a case to the government that they will be better citizens because of their Christian faith. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, by the same token, Revelation is highly regarded as a work that takes seriously the power and nature of sin portraying unrighteousness not just as personal immorality, but rather as systemic evil and social injustice, especially in chapter 18. In this regard, Revelation usually is recognized as offering the most sustained political critique of an anti-God society anywhere in the New Testament. A society is anti-God When it uses its power to enslave others, when it becomes prosperous by making others poor, when it revels in self-adulation, or when it becomes cavalier about justice, Mm -hmm. ignoring the suffering of the innocent and allowing or perpetrating violence against the righteous. And in a basic sense, an anti-God society is one that claims for itself the prerogatives of authority and power that belong to God alone. I thought that was powerful. It is very powerful. Yeah. Thank you. Well, and I love the fact that you bring out that an anti-God society is not necessarily uncivilized. No. No, that, that no. basically when we're talking about Babylon, as you were saying, it it is a it could be a beautiful place. Right. It could be people that have a lot of money and power and beautiful Absolutely. homes and beautiful, oh you know, castles and mansions and all of that stuff. So to to say that Babylon is is ugly or dirty or, or undesirable or undesirable, it's like Wicked exactly. King Noah. I think exactly. he was probably an awesome king. People <laughs> loved Wicked King Noah, but he wasn't well, righteous. Not all people. I loved know, him. But, but a lot of people in that society loved right. him. Right. So there is that balance. I completely agree. You know, as we think about that, there also is this balance between Babylon and the holy city. And that's also something that is done a lot by John. We talked a lot about that in the Gospel of John, how he does light and dark over and over again in his writing. But we see that again here in Revelation, where he will show us something like Babylon and try to show us the darkness that is there. And and oftentimes it needs to be unveiled. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not... 
right in our face. It it's something that we need to see. To you know, I mean, exactly. that thing that that one Ooh, of the messages the double-mindedness is of it. that the That's prosperous true. and powerful empire aren't all that they seem to be. You know, Revelations has that strong dimension of looking at this power on earth and unveiling what's underneath. Well, and then on top of it, he talks about the holy city, and he talks about Zion, and that is something that is beautiful, that is something that we want, and yet it is a different kind of beauty. It is the kind of beauty that, you know, we can look at and just be in awe in so many ways. I did want to just read just a little bit about that holy city. Uh, this is the idea of celestial splendor that he talks about. Where is it, Mariana? This is in chapter 22. This is at the very end. Yes. And so the last chapter. Because I think that people And like verse 2. Thank you. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were of the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. The thing that struck me about this was it wasn't in, in, in the verse before, and he said, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. So we have this vision of where we're going to be. It's this natural beauty, almost. You know, well, this idea. Can I of read the, the, the Babylon one because this yeah. caught me. So this is in uh, eighteen seventeen through nineteen, where it says, um, "For one hour, so great." The ri- oh no, sorry, I gotta have to read in sixteen. Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, decked with gold and stones and pearls, Precious weren't. Stones. Yeah, precious stones. Oh, sorry. This For in one hour, so great riches has come to naught. And so in one hour, it's wiped away, but it's all external. It's right. the precious jewels. It's the gold. It's the clothing. It's it's all these externals, whereas this one it's, is the leaf. Your river. And the next, right, and read the, the water. next part, Mariana, in, um, in 22, what you were reading, because I love that, that that this one, what is it that... And they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. And I'm going to be talking more about that. And there shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light and they shall reign forever and ever. See, and one is gone in an hour and the other one stays forever forever and ever. And And the the source of its beauty is this everlasting light. It's so beautiful. It is. And so the difference is the world versus this kind of natural beauty. Mm -hmm. But in order to get there, there is going to be a judgment. So, you know, we have to have a judgment to decide which one. Okay, in all truthfulness, Mariana is a professor at college, and I hate finals. And so (laughs) I look toward... The judgment as this great final, like I'm taking the final for the class. And if I blow the judgment, then I blow the whole class and everything's ruined and you get all anxious about it and it's just terrible. And so I was reading about this final judgment and um, I wanted to start, I'm not going to touch on the final judgment first. I wanted to talk about how the resurrection day and the judgment day are connected because it does in context So right now we're in um, chapter 20. It explains that pretty well. And if you read earlier, 
it's cute because in verse six, it says, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. And on the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and shall reign with him a thousand years. So the first resurrection happens before the first judgment. And in um, Job, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the last day. And in my flesh shall I see God. Mm -hmm. In my flesh shall I see God. And so that resurrection happens prior to judgment, which is funny because when we're resurrected, our form becomes the same in the outside and inside. And you wonder, and this is speculation, which I shouldn't, but it's just coming out, if it's almost a natural thing that you become who you are. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so there's like a that. power to These it. These are wonderful. That's it's from the inside out. Yes. I mean, that's beautiful. And I. But could you believe, like, if you've just worked so hard and you're just perfect, and then suddenly it's like, what? This is- <laughs> <laughs> I'm brilliant. Like, I'm sorry. Well, but the other thought that comes into my mind, too, is, and this is something for all of us to realize, that we are a work in progress. Right. And so so to think, oh, no, I'm and resurrected. And for eternity, we're a work in progress because we believe exactly. in eternal progression. And Good not point. only that, but before we get to that resurrected state, for we many have, of us, we will have We time. will have that period of time. We will have that right. period of time. So the resurrection day happens, and then comes the judgment. And even in 24, if you look, it says, I saw thrones, and they sat upon, and judgment was given unto them. Mm-hmm. So there's this earlier judgment for those people that would be resurrected and judged, and then they'll be there for the thousand years. Right. And then the second judgment says, I saw the dead, small, and great stand before God. And this is 2012. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And so they talk about two sets of books. The books were opened, which would be books that were written on the earth, but other books, and then this book of life. And the book of life is mentioned about six times in other parts of the scriptures. Um, Paul talks about it in Philippians where he says, I entreat thee, um, true yoke folk, help these women who labored with me in the gospel and with other fellow laborers whose names are written in the book of life. So he already knew that they were part of the people of God. So it seems like writing in the book of life. But there's many other you know, times it talks about it. But the big one is in DNC 128, verse 7. And 128 is a letter that Joseph Smith wrote that explains a number of things. And in it, he explains about the books being opened in this very scripture. He says, you will discover in this quotation that the books were opened and another book was opened, which was the book of life. But the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Consequently, the books spoken of must be books which contain the record of their works and refer to the records which are kept on earth. And the book, which is the book of life, is the record kept in heaven. The principle agreeing precisely with the doctrine which is commanded you in the revelation contained in the letter which I wrote to you previous to my leaving, that in all your recordings it may be recorded in heaven. So you know the church keeps so many records. We keep attendance. We keep records, especially when we um, get our patriarchal blessings. All of that information is kept. We keep records of when we get our um, covenants done. Sometimes we find them at the most interesting times. I I found when I was going, you know, when you, you know, I mean, you maybe don't, but I know for me, things were not always kept in perfect order. My husband was quite good at it, but... 
at some point I was going through things and it was after my husband had died for some reason, but I found his baptismal record. Oh, nice. You know the thing? And this was the thing. Who was the witness? The father of my first daughter-in-law. But you have to understand, oh. Oh. I mean, we live one, thousands of miles apart. Our lives didn't and cross. All but of those records are kept. His, he happened to have been at the same university in graduate school. Oh. And he was, I saw, I could hardly believe it, you know. Right. It was, it was a really beautiful yep. thing. Our very first son's wife's father had signed the baptismal record of her husband's father. That is so cool. But who so was baptized cool. after, you know. That well, is and that's the power of records, is right. that, you know, records are kept for a reason. Yes. But also records are eternal. And so because of that, there aren't, coincidences in terms of the fact that that happened. I yes, really do believe right. that that's also part of the records. Too. I know. I love that. But this book of life is the record that's kept by the angels. And we have so many songs about angels watching over us. But I love that Dearest Children where it's angels keep a faithful record of the good mm. and bad you say. So they're just sitting there writing. Well, I think they aren't writing. I think it's a... I think it's it may probably be a quantum v- a computer vlog. system. A vlog. I, you know, I mean, I as <laughs> I look at technology, it. and you know what a dinosaur I am. I've been. I have made no. That is no. Okay. No, I have not been discreet about that. But, but, I. You know, so so my son, you know, when I was doing this thing, they're building quantum computers. It's like what? Um, and he explained to me that a quantum computer in one second can do what our most powerful computers. It will take them a thousand years to do. Right. And I was like. Why would we ever even need that? I mean, you know, it just are like, what? But then you look at it in the eternal spheres. You think, how would the Lord keep track of all these people? How will he keep track of our lives? How? Well, if quantum computers can do that, you know they're way more advanced. And so I think it's going to be, we'll be very surprised at the high tech. Oh, yeah, because God is of the God heaven. of technology. Heaven's high tech. We 100% know. believe that. Silicon Valley's going to look know. like nothing. Yeah. No, I agree. But I do have to say the one thing is after the resurrection and then we stand before the Lord at judgment and Christ will be our advocate with the Father. So he'll stand beside us. And I love this that Elder Oaks taught. He taught about the final judgment and he said, as Alma told his sinful son, we cannot hide our sins before God and except you repent, they will stand as a testimony against you at the last day. Mm. The atonement of Jesus Christ gives us the only way to achieve the needed cleansing through repentance. And this mortal life is the time to do it. And I thought of how often we have friends come by. And when we have warning, you can get all those corners cleaned up before they come in. And everything smells great and is wonderful and life is perfect. But... We need to be doing that little five minutes. That's why I used to love the fly lady because she would give you a little email and she'd tell you what to do today and you do it and then you kind of keep up on things. I love that. And we need to do the same thing with our spirits today is we don't get it. We can't pay for a housekeeper to come and do it for us. But that daily devotion, that daily reconciliation with God will make it when we suddenly, the friend comes to our door and we had no idea they were coming everything will be in order because that's the final judgment. There'll be very little with Christ. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) But um, the last thing I wanted to talk about was, was fear of that last day, because that's a lot of what's talked about here. And it's so cute because um, Nephi, uh, Nephi's brother, Jacob, and you know how when Jacob comes in, he starts writing about the final judgment. 
And he starts out by sounding nice. And he says, prepare your souls for that glorious day when justice shall be administered unto the righteous, even the day of judgment, that you may not shriek with awful fear. So he's like, it's going to be awesome. And then he turns, as is so Jacob-like, and says that you may not shrink with awful fear, that you may not remember your awful guilt and be constrained to explain, <laughs> holy, holy are your judgments, but I know my guilt. I transgress the law. My transgressions are mine, and the devil shall obtain Ooh. me. So he really the goes devil. all the way there. Well, you <laughs> like wow. you're going to fail this final test unless you shape up. But for the righteous... It will be a glorious day. and But, you know, I think that it's really important. We, we read in other scriptures where they said, if you, in one thing, you know, James, when we were studying James, that in one thing you aren't doing it, you've got to clean that up. Yeah. And he used you the really big do. ones, adultery, murder. But if you are still bitter towards somebody, if you're still envious of this, if you still feel you've been wronged and you haven't forgiven, those need to be completely... Erased by too. recognizing them, repenting of them sincerely, and recognizing that as we forgive, so will we be forgiven. Absolutely. That beautiful passage in the Lord's I Prayer is what we need to every day think about to right. help clean our, our house. And up. in the very last conference, Elder Bednar gave the beautiful talk. I don't remember if you mm. remember it, about hushing our fears. Right. And he said that when the people were in Helam, um, the people of Alma, and they're all together, and they see the Lamanite armies coming. And he says, you have been righteous. You've done the right thing. The Lord will look over us. And it said they hushed their fears because they focused on Christ. Yes. And so he says, for us, as we look towards the judgment, correct knowledge of and faith in the Lord empower us to hush our fears because Jesus Christ is the enduring source of peace. He declared, learn of me, walk in my meekness, and ye shall have peace. The master also said, he who doeth the words of righteousness shall receive his reward, even peace in this world and eternal life in the world to come. And then he just ended with trust and confidence in Christ and a ready reliance on his merits, mercy, and grace lead to hope through the atonement in the resurrection and eternal life. And so I think the key is that we're constantly thinking about reconciling with Christ. And if Christ is our friend, then it's just going to be a great day. It's going to be a great day. And one of the things that we have to Intense. look forward to in the last days is the, the binding or throwing down into a pit Satan. And so let's Absolutely. read in chapter 20. Um, so and this is right after... The judgment of the righteous. Right. So the right, resurrection and the judgment of the righteous. And then this big thing. And happens. then this is during the millennium. So the Savior now is going to be reigning here on earth. Right. And he said, and this is chapter 20. We're going to read one through three. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. I love that image of the key and the chain. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should, de he, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Now, 
one thing that I wanted to, to share a little bit in terms of this idea of Satan being bound up is um, how is he going to be bound up? And we gain a little bit more of an understanding of that in our own Doctrine and Covenants and also in the Book of Mormon. And I'm going to read this in the Book of Mormon. Um, specifically, this is Second Nephi, um, no, First Nephi, sorry, First Nephi 22:26, And I love the fact that even Nephi was thinking about, you know, the well, and I, I was thinking I about how he had dealt with, <laughs> you know, Satan and his brothers. Right. And, yeah. you know, how difficult that must have been. And so this must have been something he was thinking about a lot. So this is First Nephi um, 22:26, And because of the righteousness of his people... Satan has no power, wherefore he cannot be loosed for the space of many years, and we know that's a thousand, for he hath no power over the hearts of the people, for they dwell in righteousness, and the Holy One of Israel reigneth. Well, and, and I'm going to reread this chapter 22, when we talked about, you know, what the, the place where the Lord's going to be looks like. One of the things that he says that those that are there at the throne of God, the throne of the Lamb, they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. Now we have another time where that description, that's found in Revelation 7, 3, we also have the same description. So if you turn to Revelation 7, verse 3, and this is um, basically, this is the seal that we see on those saints that are brought up to the Savior when he comes. And so basically, I'll start with verse 2. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. So he has the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So it goes back to this idea of being sealed in their foreheads. And I love that image because of the phylacteries of the Old Testament. Yeah, it's beautiful. But I also think of what that also signifies for us today. We have two different things that I see that seal us in our foreheads. The first is the sacrament. The sacrament helps us to always remember him. That is the seal on our forehead. But the second thing is looking forward to the day when our calling and election is made sure. So these are two times where we can also have this sealing of our foreheads. We talk about how we can take this revelation, this wonderful book, and put it into our life today. This isn't just things that we're looking to the future, and it has nothing to do with me today. This idea of sealing on our foreheads, looking at the, the sacrament as an opportunity to be able to have that same thing right, happen to, to us now. Him. That that is not something that we necessarily have to say, oh, that's a long time in the future. Instead, it's right now. President Iring said, we promise to take his name upon us. That means we must see ourselves as his. We will put him first in our lives. We will want what he wants rather than what we want or what the world teaches us to want. And, and I love that, too, because Elder Christofferson has talked so much about this, about he the has. power of the sacrament. I mean, it's kind of a theme 
that he's taken on. And, and I think it's what a beautiful theme. But think about what this means in terms of sealing his name upon our foreheads. I love you know, the idea of thinking about it in this term, you it, know, with this idea to take it with more passion, you know, exactly. more passion, more determination that this week I'm going to do even better, you know. To And so Elder Christofferson also says we should put first, first put in place the things that make it possible to always remember him. Frequent prayer and scripture study, thoughtful study of apostolic teachings, weekly preparation to partake of the sacrament, Sunday worship, recording and remembering the spirit and experiences that teach us about discipleship. See, recording those experiences. Recording those experiences. <laughs> That's really important. I know. It is so I, And then he says, I can attest that over time, our desire and capacity to always remember and follow the Savior will grow. And that goes with this, you know, I, I almost feel like it's one of those things where there's just a faint you know, little thing on my forehead. But as I continue mm. to do it, that's going to come brighter and brighter and brighter. And maybe you'll feel it inside, too, your forehead. Exactly. You know what Definitely. I mean? Definitely. Well, it's radiating the, uh, light inside as well as out. Exactly. That others will see it, but you will feel it. And it will be such a profound influence on your choices. And, 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 and the promptings that you receive will come in more clearly. And then he ends, we should patiently... And I want to go back to that patiently, thinking about James, which we talked about just a few weeks ago. We should patiently work toward that end and pray always for the discernment and divine help that we need. So that's pretty powerful, but I want to take it a step further to that of becoming, you know, looking forward to our calling and election made sure. And when our calling election made sure it is an event, it's not like we're going to be like, oh, I wonder if my calling election is no, made it's, sure. It's, no, it's we know. It's an actual ordinance. It's an, it's an ordinance. The Savior comes to you. You know. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to just share in Mosiah 5.15 because I just love this description. And he says, therefore, I would that you should be steadfast and immovable. This is King Benjamin explaining and teaching to his people, his covenant people, what they had to look forward to in terms of having their calling election made sure. Always abounding in good works that Christ, the Lord God omnipotent, may seal you his. That's exactly what happens with calling election made sure. That you may be brought to heaven, that you may have everlasting salvation and eternal life through the wisdom and power and justice and mercy of him who created all things in heaven and in earth, who is God above all. That is the final words from King Benjamin's discourse. But I think it's also something that we can take into our hearts and minds as what we are looking forward to. You know, that weekly partaking the sacrament prepares us for having our calling and election made sure where we are one with our Savior. But I do want to clarify because I think um, sometimes people talk about their calling election made sure happening in their life before they meet the Savior for the final judgment. And when he seals you his, for many, 
that will be part of the For final many. judgment. Yes. And there's no extra points if it happens early. It's true. So I for some for people, it happened early for very specific and important reasons. reasons. Mm -hmm. And usually it was to protect the saints because part of that was being given the gift that anything you asked would happen. So like with Enoch, he got his calling match made sure, and then he could move mountains. Mm -hmm. He was given this extra portion as part of that happening. So we don't know as we move into the, you know, closer and closer to the second coming, there may be individuals that have that happen in this life to protect right. for other reasons. But normally, God is a God of economy, as Elder Maxwell said. And if, if there's no purpose to it, it will happen at the end of your judgment. You'll be sealed, Christ, when, when you're accepted in that highest degree. And you'll be given those gifts. So, but no but realize, point. but realize too, <laughs> but realize too that I think that we need to just like other things that we look forward to. Oh, absolutely. That is something that we have to look forward to. As and so, whether right. it's this now or at the time that we're brought absolutely. in final judgment, that doesn't matter. It motivates us. It motivates right. That's, us. We need exactly. motivation. <laughs> and we have we to be need. careful. I, one thing that I worry about when we talk about that is that we also need to make sure that that doesn't make us feel like, oh, well, then I don't have to worry about it. Oh, that's you know, Oh, that I just because put it on the back. Because we should be striving for it. We because be I do believe, um, and I, I need to look it up, but there is a scripture where Joseph Smith said, we should be seeking yes. to have our calling actually yes, made sure. we should. We should be ready at any moment. We should. So if we're worthy for it to happen, whether it happens now or later, it doesn't matter. It's whether we're prepared. But I appreciate, you no, know, Mariana, I want you to know, and I want you to know, I just, this very interesting conversation coming completely not out of Mormondom, as it were, mm -hmm. you know, out of a history of families who have been in the church where these, you know, these aren't things that I just hear about them, you know, because and I have not lived in a place where people talk about them. I've lived in not in the center. And so these I've, I've heard things about this, but I don't don't. It's not a part of my lexicon of things that I mm -hmm. think about listening to both of you with both pieces of this, I feel, A, that I understand it more, but most importantly, I feel more motivated. Wonderful. And I think that is the key. And that I feel most more motivated in a positive way, mm -hmm. not a negative way. Right. Because I think that what, what Mariana tells us motivates me to say this is something to keep working toward. Right, absolutely. What, what Christine says is don't worry. You know, don't feel bad because I don't think that would be good. That, right. You know, and I think that that's important too. Right. To keep the steam on, as I said, exactly. till the last. Moment. Well, have <laughs> no, you heard people say on. that someone is too righteous for this world and they had to be taken because they got too righteous or say that, um, oh, they're so good. They'll have their calling lecture made sure for sure. You've never heard that kind of language. Okay. So I live in different circles. Yeah. Than right. You. Well, you live in but I some know. people say those <laughs> you know, <laughs> only the last couple of years. But, um, but when they say that it's, it, it's not valid. It's not true because, you know, King Benjamin was so righteous. He didn't, that we know of have his calling lecture made know. sure earlier. But we don't know. He never told us he did. Right. So some prophets did, but, nobody but we don't sin. know. Right. And so that's where, I, I don't think those ideas or are are doctrinal. Well, I think so. Let's let's go on to this idea of the marriage as a good comparison I for Lord's it. covenant and His church, okay. because that's also that's brought up here I, in right. this beautiful part, and and it is a theme. And we're back we, in nineteen. We it's a theme that that is part of not only Revelation, 
but it's been a part of the Savior's teaching in the New Testament before. He talks a lot about the bride and him as the bridegroom. Oh, and all through Isaiah and all through Jeremiah and all through, over and over again. But um, the idea of the bridegroom coming, of the marriage of the Lamb, that it, that it is coming is is a consistent theme that we have. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and you had read that scripture in 19, but we'll read it again just so you get the pieces. So it one. starts in seven through nine and it says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come, which means when Christ comes again, this is the marriage of the lamb. This is where he will stand over his church and be with his church as one. So it will no longer be separate. He'll be ready. So if we think of the whole church as as the wife, then, um, and it says, to her was granted that she be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And so you think how if we are white and pure, I think if we're worthy of our temple covenants of that white, beautiful bride, But if we're not, for every spot we have, you think, is she going to be white enough or is she going to be kind of dirty? And then it says, right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we know the marriage supper and blessed are they because this is when the virgins are called to guide him back at the beginning. And we know that how many are wise and how many are foolish. And so part of that dressing and part of the feast is those virgins that are ready, that have their lamps ready. And so we go back to that beautiful symbol. And um, it is interesting to me that, um, well, we're doing a lot of Christofferson today. But he said um, about the second coming, first and crucial for the Lord's return is the presence on earth of a people prepared to receive him at his coming. Mm-hmm. And you know when they talk about the Savior's coming being delayed, sometimes I believe that we're the ones that delay it because as a people, we're not righteous totally. enough or ready. Totally. That we have to have that linen be clean. We have to do our spiritual laundry. All the so. time. That's what, that's what President Nelson is telling us. He's yes. reminding us. He wants us to get our own inspiration. He wants us to learn. You know, I mean, it was, seemed so pr- prophetic that before the pandemic, he was advising us that we need to, on our own, have the church in our heart. Right, and, absolutely. And that we need to, and, and he keeps giving us guidance as to how we can make that happen. And I do love when it talked about pure religion and undefiled in James mm-hmm. was number one, serving the, um, the, the, widows. the widows and the fatherless, but then keeping unspotted from the world. And to me, that is so temple focused because that's where I remember years ago, um, I think it was President Monson that gave a talk where he talked about a little shepherd that led the way. He's right. In the mountains, and um, he asked a um, like the symphony to play an A note because he loved to play the violin. And he said, "My batteries are growing low, so if you can play it as loud as you can, so I can hear it and tune my violin, and then I'll be able to have music as I'm in the mountains, you know, watching the sheep." 
And so they played that A note. And I think when we go to the temple, it's our A note. When we walk in, we can tell if there's a little bit of, you know what I mean? Like, like we need to do laundry. I do remember that one time I got a brand new temple dress and um, I put it in my temple bag and I was walking through the temple having a great time. And someone came up to me and said, look, and I had a pen that I had kept in the edge of the bag and it had made this huge black spot oh, no. on my temple dress. <laughs> so I'd been walking around the temple oh, with a huge, huge black, black spot. spot. Oh. But the funny thing was, and I swear this is miraculous, I ran to the bathroom and I got the little soap dispenser and put it on it. And, and this right is out. black dried ink. Wow. And it came out. And I said, how, Heavenly Father, there's no way that's, that's coming out on its own. Miracle. But I think it was because I had felt like that week I had had a very successful week. I had like had victories that I was so proud of. And um, so it was funny because I was so happy to be in the temple. And sometimes you go in the temple and you're like, okay, I know, Lord, I need to do this better. Okay, once I'm done, I'll do this. But this time I had come in feeling so free. So I'd have that big spot. But but the temple tells us it's the A note that lets us readjust ourselves Elder Nelson, uh, President Nelson, he said it when he was Elder Nelson, as temples are prepared for the people, the people need to prepare for the temple. And I'll always remember that my mission president said to me, Christine, if you can walk through the veil of the temple and feel entirely clean, then you can walk before the Savior, mm. feeling the same way. And that's how we prepare. And that's why there's so many temples being built. And I can't wait for the second temple in Rexburg. <laughs> oh, how wonderful. Well, and, and I would like to just bear a second testimony of the power of the temple. I know one thing that I try to do when I go to the temple is to have my heart soft so that at, when I sit in the celestial room, I ask the Lord, what must I change? How can I repent? What can I do better? Wow. And the Lord always has a list. He does. He always he answers does. me. And I made this comment to another friend of mine, and I just said, you know, every time I just love going to the celestial room and hearing from the Lord what it is I'm supposed to do to do better. And she goes, then why would you go to the temple? That just sounds so depressing. Oh. <laughs> and I said, no, you don't understand. It is so beautiful and refreshing and helpful and joyous. I think it's really important. I think, I mean, this little interaction between you and the friend, it's very important for us to understand and look at that. That repentance, if you don't think you have to repent, that's because you're not looking closely enough and you aren't asking sincerely enough and you aren't examining your life under the microscope. Um, because your interactions with others, your all the things left undone. How could any of us feel like we've done everything that the Lord wants us to do? We can't. And we need to repent and ask him how we can do better. Right. And I because I, I think that that sentiment expressed by your friend is felt by many very virtuous people, mm -hmm. but they think that their virtue right. is enough. But I know I think the answer is and I would say that she probably feels overstressed, that she's like one more thing. Oh, and I think okay. sometimes instead of looking closer, 
We need to look to the Savior and be filled that with is joy. Excellent. That and is excellent. And then as we feel the joy, we have more to give. Oh, So she may feel empty. It may not be that she's not looking. It's that she doesn't. She feels like that empty urn. And the key to being prepared is filling our lamps with oil. And as we fill it, then we have plenty to share. We have plenty. And we can only share our light. We can't share our oil because it doesn't work that way. But we'll have that light. And that's what you ask is how I can share my light. Right. And she's saying, I don't have any light. I love what, Christine, I love that because sometimes, you know, some people have certain challenges. Some people have other challenges. Right. And the pounding myself to pieces, what we all do it once well, but it isn't my specific challenge. Sure. And I you think know that, people who have that. Well, yeah, yeah I, everybody I think does. That everybody, everybody does. And I think it's important to pull back right. and to, to understand all those things you're probably pounding yourself on, not the things the Lord even right. cares about, right. the vast majority. And so go to him and ask him, what are the things you want me to work mm -hmm. on. And those will, he will only tell us things that we have the capacity to right. actually I work agree. on. I agree. Well, that is really important what you said. Oh, thank you. So as we conclude our time with the book of Revelation, I feel like we do need to conclude with the end of Revelation <gasps> because the, these are, <laughs> these, you know, this is uh, so 18 and 19, which is something that a lot of people point to and say, okay, well, why do you have a Book of Mormon? Why do you have a Doctrine oh. and Covenants? <laughs> because here it says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. So he's talking specifically about this book. Of Revelation. Of, of Revelation. Right. If any man shall add unto these things, meaning the book of Revelation, God shall add unto him the plagues, that are written in this book. Okay, that's a pretty it. good cursing. <laughs> and if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Wow. So, you know, yeah. I, I... Strong conviction of... Strong the, conviction. Of the, of inspiration he received. You know? Now, we have um, so he's Elder Holland... So this book is going to be fulfilled. Yes. And if it was changed, it'll be fulfilled by the changed piece. But this book is fulfilled. This is going to be fulfilled. But, yes, but, I mean, it's so interesting when we understand how the scriptures were put together, which right. is... It didn't come... It didn't come as this book. Yes. It came... These were lots of pieces that were compiled. You know, mm -hmm. he was not talking about the no. canon of the Bible. He was talking about his piece. Right. That's all he knew. That's all I mean, he, he cared knew, about. He knew the Old Testament, too, mm -hmm. probably, and much of that because he was, you know. But but other pieces, very well didn't even know. Well, and we have that same scripture didn't. in Deuteronomy. Right. So if you stopped there... And said you couldn't add anything else. We wouldn't, wouldn't have, have any. anything. <laughs> well, and I think it's important for us to realize, too, that the reason why this has been so difficult is that it's kind of thrown, especially in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints face, you know, saying, okay, why do you have this continuing revelation? 
But I do feel Elder Holland really, he talked specifically about these two verses. And he said, continuing revelation does not demean or discredit existing revelation. The Old Testament does not lose its value in our eyes when we are introduced to the New Testament. And the New Testament is only enhanced when we read the Book here, of Mormon, here. another testament, a testament of Jesus Christ. In considering the additional scripture accepted by Latter-day Saints, we might ask, were those early Christians who for decades had access only to the primitive gospel of Mark, generally considered the first of the New Testament gospels to be written, were they offended to receive the more detailed accounts set forth later by Matthew and Luke, to say nothing of the unprecedented passages and revelatory emphasis offered later yet by John? Surely they must have rejoiced that ever more convincing evidence of the divinity of Christ kept coming, and so do we rejoice. The very last, of course, the very last two verses, he which testifieth these things saith, surely I come quickly, amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And I love that ending because this is our ending too, and I just wanted to give each one of you a, a minute or so to kind of share what you've learned from this last year of studying the New Testament. You go first. Well, I think um, I just go back to um, President Nelson's uh, telling us that we should make our relationship with Christ our highest priority. And as we've talked about it, and you turn to Christ in all of these New Testament moments, I think you see over and over again the importance. And and as we get to the end of feeling like we are coming unto him in everything we do, that we are not putting lines between us that keep us away from him, but that we are inviting him into every portion of our lives and our hearts. And I feel that over and over again, the same message we see over and over and I feel, you know, coming through these two testaments um, of the Lord and Savior, our Lord and Savior, the great Jehovah, the everlasting to everlasting, the sun, the rising sun, is it the, our star? Um, I feel the great extraordinary love of God for us, his children, for all of us every one of us, and the countless efforts he has made and will make to bring us to him. I am inspired beyond ex being able to express it by the condescension of God to be among us and to show us how we can be to come to him and then providing this path. And, and I am just so grateful for having had the opportunity to immerse ourselves in this study. And I understand, as I did it, that anybody can do that. Mm -hmm. There is, this is a path of studying from the earliest, from Genesis through Revelations and beyond, God's work with us. And I just say to everyone, do it. Ju the water is good and we will come out feeling profoundly refreshed. Oh, thank you. And one thought that I had, a final thought, was as we talked about last week in terms of our testimonies of the Savior, 
I think of President Nelson's point that the answer is always Jesus Christ. Mm, and for me, that's kind of the, the thought that I came up with was that the answer to our life's questions, the answer to the problems that we're facing, the answer to all of these things that we're talking about and facing in these latter days is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as long as we have that hope and that testimony, we need not fear. I also am so looking forward to starting our study of another testament of Jesus Christ in the Book of Mormon, because I think we will find in there the doctrine of Christ, which is so much a part of the Book of Mormon, and enable us to continue our study and our thoughts and feelings that will just grow and grow and grow as we have our testimony that will burn brighter and brighter until the latter day, which we are so looking forward to, the second coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, thank you for having this wonderful opportunity with me to delve into the scriptures. And I also want to thank all of those that have been with us during this past year as we studied the life and the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.